0: Welcome back to the Agostino Zynga Show with I your host Agostino Zynga and this is episode number 655 that is 655 of the Agostino Zynga Show I hope you are doing well wherever this podcast may find you I hope you are doing splendid how am I all good all things considered one cannot complain one cannot complain as per usual with this this is mostly 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 going to be my cultural commentary podcast if you're looking for the random show and anything regarding comedy news and whatnot please check back later there'll be a stream later on tonight I think I've already got that scheduled on my channel so if you haven't already checked it make sure you do that'll be episode number 88 the random show coming up so if you want to see everything concerning Brendan Shaw Brian Callen, Brendan Joe Rogan, Bert Crasher, my Bert Crasher special review definitely check out the random show episode number 88 that should already be scheduled on my channel if you want to go check that out but for now this will be your one and only one-stop shop for all the cultural commentary news that you need in your sector so don't delay get on that today so, how have I been going? All things all considered, I'm nice and hydrated. I've got this nice little cold brew that I've mixed with a dash, dash of vanilla milk inside. I don't usually do that, but I am wanted to kind of get it down my oesophagus nice and smoothly. So, of course, we're going to oblige with a nice pre, pre-pod sip. And it's hitting just the way that I thought it would hit. Hitting just the way I thought it would hit. So, in the last few days, I've been on my... um. I've been on my um, Lindsay Lohan sort of sobriety sort of vibe, which has been kind of nice. It's also afforded me the opportunity and the luxury to go outdoors and be in the gym and go for runs and stuff early in the morning, which has been quite nice considering that usually I used to do it quite late in the afternoon, late in the evening and whatnot. And it's a bit, you know, messes up your overall body clock, but it has been quite nice to get out in the morning and kind of see my um, my locale when it's somewhat daylight because I tend to only see at night because, you know, sometimes I do have vampire hours as my day-to-day schedule. One thing I noticed, though, which is interesting, of course, you know, all areas are like this, but because I live in a fairly rough part of town and it sometimes have very sketchy individuals walking around, you hear very sketchy noises everywhere, it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit dodge. But one thing I noticed is that when you wake up early, you, the thing that you do see that's the best is that you actually see the best parts of your little locale. Like it actually looks somewhat beautiful, somewhat serene. There's a picture here I took um, on my way to the gym that kind of gives me, I don't know, it, it kind of gives me life. It kind of looks like something something gorge when it, in actuality the area that it is is pretty rough. But there's something serene, something quite peaceful about it. And the funny thing is, this route that I walk, or you know, to my gym, actually, the hilarious part about it is that this little section I've taken a picture. of, If you can't see it, there's a little section just in front of a road um, that kind of leads into, you know, some houses and whatnot. The funny thing is this whole entire area, this whole entire part, if I'm not mistaken, usually this whole entire section is a little weird place where all the kind of local druggies and whatnot come and sit down. And sort of do their little beer sessions, Um, their other gear sessions, all kind of happens in this little section right here. That's where it all kind of goes down. It's very, 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 very strange why that is the case, but it's kind of like, you know, on the way to you to improve yourself and all that good self-improvement talk and blah, blah, blah. This is also the place where all the local crackers decide to congregate and have their kind of weekly meeting or whatever they have to do. It's kind of hilarious to me to be honest, but I did kind of like how peaceful it looks on the way there. So, you know, nice little Ryanair or Stance or also with Ryanair EasyJet Stance said flight passing over the top of me. Feeling quite serene, feeling kind of good, and yeah, it was nice just to kind of go out and kind of see the overall um town in the morning before I do see at night as per usual. So I did really, really, really enjoy that. But anyway, cool. So moving on from that one, quick one to mention this because I thought this was this was crazy, right? Um, you're in the matrix. How about now? I shouldn't be in the matrix. I think I should be nice out of the matrix now. But I was just saw this and I thought this was pretty hilarious and also pretty sad and bittersweet. So this picture of this young lady, Amelia, um, how would you say her name? Amelia de Moldenberg, de Moldenberg. She sounds like she's from some, you know, high society family or something in it. Right. Anyway, Abelia de Bolgenberg. Right. This lady is imagine amazing. Right. So this picture of hers gone viral somewhere in my side of Twitter, which you'd call maybe the UK blick, black Twitter, black Twitter side of things. <laughs> she might be calling him blick after this anyway. But the funny thing about this is that number one. The picture of this young lady is fantastic, and if you don't know her, she is the host of a show here in the UK called um, the Chicken Shop, which is essentially um, our version of a, you know, of an urban show where you interview artists and stuff but they do it inside of a chicken shop and for whatever reason she's the host of it which is weird because chicken shops are like usually in really um you know struggle areas you know places that we would call the hood or ends or whatever it may be called but regardless the show does really well it's very popular she got invited to the oscars after party, if i'm not mistaken this looks like the vanity fair one so that's not even the oscars actual event but it's an after party. but it's still you know it's a it's a prestigious thing to go to not everyone gets the invite obviously I didn't get invited so the fact that she went is amazing and also let's be fair she looks flipping amazing in this dress like she looks fantastic and I've seen a couple pictures of her red carpet and she just looks you know she looks a little bit awkward and what she's wearing and whatnot not very comfortable in the skin but I feel like this has been the most comfortable I've seen and again she's still not moving that might help but I think overall she looks really really good the dress works well the face is on banging you know i mean the makeup's done well the hair is always needs to be there the skin is glistening nails are all done brilliantly even even though she's got that kind of weird summer walker pose with her arms on her side she still looks fucking fantastic now the issue with this is that i guess this picture has reminded people that she exists because I think people maybe just conveniently forgot that she exists for some reason and it really stirred up a lot of ill feelings around some people in Black Twitter who think she's only got her position or only got invited because she's like a you know friendly somewhat easy to um an easy face to kind of look at because she's white and she's not black and she does this show where she interviews loads of urban acts and some of the quote are really amazing and really really mean so obviously naturally because this is a podcast it's best to go through some of them and read what some of these people have to say regarding Amelia's um, representation over the Adiosas. Um and she says uh, I thought the Queen of England was dead she's right here yo. obviously people are trolling and everyone says she doesn't even do anything and black people still find a way to hate on her weirdos um, um, another person here says she's so sweet man how does she get any hate another one says insufferable women fuming in the qts quote, quote tweet sorry if that degenerate alone <laughs> if that degenerate gender alone was there they'd be yes queening us a death mate another one ugly women in the quotes hating her you know i love her she's gone clear a lot of boys are fans looks like it's, it's the girls aren't really rating her for some reason i'm all for bullying white women but this lady is literally unproblematic leave my babe alone UK royalty, she looks so pretty, I didn't know people hated her, low-key a UK goat, i am um, a save Amelia for the Americans, the way you guys force yourself to hate random white people is so weird, it just shows how stupid people are, and one says all the hate that she gets from jealous people that haven't done anything meaningful in their lives, and one says the sudden hate towards her is very weird and fake as well because everyone has loved of Chicken Shop Date for years, but now that she's moving up you don't want to see her win. I don't think this is true. And maybe this is part to kind of rest on. I've always thought the premise around the shop to be a little bit dumb because in general, like I said, chicken shops in the UK are generally located in very poor, um, low-income areas. Um, this, you know, the kind of areas where you'd find loads of, you know, betting shops, you're going to find loads of really crappy chicken shops that sell flipping six wings and a drink and maybe a hand job for flipping one pound. And usually for most places, unless your chicken shop is in Notting Hill or something, you don't ever see girls that look like Amelia in these chicken shops, especially not like shiny white girls. You might see dusty type of white girls, you know, the kind of ones that you see that have like a side part in or that braid half of their hair or, you know, talk in a certain way or pull their hair back and have that kind of facelift ponytail, those kind of white white girls they exist but like you know well-to-do wholesome you know sweet white women like Amelia don't really you know hang around chicken shops unless you know the chicken shops is in Shoreditch or it's in Hoxton or it's in Brixton somewhere trendy like that but for the most part you don't really see them there like you know willingly going there to eat it's not really something they're going to go do they'd much rather go to like chicken sour somewhere and go buy you know overpriced fried chicken made by some white dude who stole the recipe for some black woman in the south, but we continue so i always thought the premise of the show was really corny and didn't really make any sense if anything it'd make more sense if she did a show in like out of some coffee shop somewhere in some boutique somewhere that would make more sense in that way and you could still get the funny sort of awkward white girl interviewing hood guy type of dynamic but in a setting that makes sense to her i just thought her you know sitting on a really uh you know steel um chair with leather seats that got cracks in it in a chicken shop somewhere you know t- telling a boss man if she's got more ketchup. I just found that a little bit weird and a little bit strange. But for every reason, it resonated with people. And I'm a big i I'm a big believer in as much as something I've, as much as I don't like something, I'm still a believer in the fans and the audience being the the overall one, the overall sort of like deciding factor in what is good and what isn't good. So, if the fans decide it's good and they keep watching it, clearly they do because her guests only keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The last one I saw, I don't watch any of them, but last one I saw as in a clip and a picture was her interviewing Burner Boy one time. So, clearly the show is going from strength to strength to strength and elevating. And naturally, because she's the host of the show, her profile is also elevating. So, this you know, look that she's getting going to the Oscars party is somewhat makes a lot. Lot of sense because of who she is and what the show is doing, but this lady saying the sudden hate—it's not sudden hate. I've always thought the show was shit personally, and I know people have had their reservations around it, and. There does need to have some conversation need to be had about, you know, if this was a blackface, would it be as easy for them to ascend the rungs of flipping celebrity and success here in the UK? Not really, maybe because of the niche that she's in, being an awkward, you know, white girl that's not from ENDS, interviewing guys that are from ENDS or girls might be the whole point of why she's successful. Cool, I understand that. But let's also understand that it will be quite nice if that whole idea of the chicken shop thing, especially when you think of the, the kid that used to do a chicken shop reviews, if there was something, especially if, if if these are things that are like our like um weird cultural hubs. It's getting sad to say this, but if they're like our meeting points in the ends, it'd just be nice to have somebody that's from ends representing those things, even though we don't own them. And they're mostly owned by Asian people and stuff. But hey, it, we're not going to talk about that sort of stuff. It would be nice to get that. But I do understand the hate. <clears throat> I really do. Again, sir, and again you know again from the clips i've seen it doesn't look that entertaining i don't find it funny i think it's not congruent to who she is and there's a lot of kind of you know there's a thing i think a lot of people do where especially on the show it's sort of similar to like um caribbean or like african restaurants here in the uk if you're a black person you walk into one especially a hair salon or like a hair beauty shop you know you're usually going to get you usually going to get a little bit of a cold shoulder from the owners. But the moment a white person walks in, somebody that's just not black, all of a sudden they're like, oh, how are you? How are you? How can I help you? You know what I mean? They're doing all this really horrible pandering and kind of sucking up and somewhat bootlicking to the non-black person to kind of get them on board, which is horrible. And you kind of see that kind of dynamic play out sometimes on a chicken shop because she's kind of safe. And you know, you're not going to get any like, you know, toxic shade borough type of questions from her. So I understand both sides of it, but what I feel bad about for the whole thing, like I said before, is that this legitimately might be her best picture ever she's taken in the history of her media career. And it's now being permanently placed alongside this weird racial discourse that's maybe and tinted and sprinkled a little bit of jealousy do you know what I mean so it's very it must be so bittersweet this picture's gone viral many many people have seen it but it's also been the basis of people kind of questioning your place in culture and saying you only got there because you're white which must hurt because essentially this is what her PR team have been hired to do her team that she hires and that she gives 10% to and maybe more to put her out there is doing what they should be doing and getting her in the right places and making her move in the right spaces so that it can progress and go so don't so be surprised if this kind of elevates and she's suddenly now doing chicken shops and flipping America and stuff and going to Popeyes or whatnot over there. Um, another one said uh, this baby this, the number, and again, notice all the guys are ones backing her. I guess guys are really fancy her, and, and this baby the issue for or the villain most of you make her out to be. Yes, the industry is fucked, but how many black people supporting and pushing Zizi, Zumi, and Chucky's content? There's quite a few to be fair. I don't know what he's getting at there. Quite a few are pushing it, but it doesn't really matter, in it. You're not going to get any of those people having a show on Channel Four or going to the Oscars anytime soon. i um, so happy for her success. Maybe she'll be feeding you guys. <laughs> this person is raw. <coughs> so happy for her success. Maybe she'll be feeding you guys watermelon so you can propel her to host the Oscars.
1: (laughs) oh this is horrible
0: it continues here the hate she gets is very weird and then the last one here my wife so it does kind of you know switch from person to person in terms of what the hate is but i still do think it's a little bit out of order a little bit extreme and people do need to chill out and give her time to breathe because she did not ask for this year you know i mean it just is the position that she's in her team are doing their job it is what it is it is what it is um someone asked me in chat do you think she dates blacks i don't really to be fair you know what right i don't want her to let me say that i wanted to lean into her whiteness like because i know she's got a thing for that guy she keeps um She's got a thing for that guy That was Spider-Man isn't it? I forgot his name The white actor I forgot his name But she's got a thing for him I prefer it if you just like Double down on her whiteness Like don't try and pretend To be into the Like Just like The reason why she's successful Is because she's the awkward white girl Just be the awkward white girl Don't suddenly be the awkward white girl That's, that's always into Tyrone's and, Jerem- and Jermaine's and stuff Stick to your Tom's Stick to your James, your Henry's, and that and live that kind of life and you'll be good. I think she tries to panda. I think it's gonna go crazy for her personally. I don't I don't want to see her dating skipped anytime soon. Please God. Just stay stick to the Caucasians and you'll win. She's already winning that anyway, so clearly that model kind of works. But anyway, um talking about models and talking about stuff that works and doesn't work. Oh my god. So my favourite brand. Um, Balenciaga obviously put out a really cool collection recently for Fall Winter twenty thirteen. Um, sorry, um, Fall Winter, Fall Winter twenty yeah, Fall Winter twenty 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 three. Sorry, which I obviously loved and I had a lot of time for, and there were two things for me in the collection that stuck out that I was really really down for and really wanted to cop somewhere down the line. Number one being these biker boots. Um, they essentially kind of a rip or like a bit of a progression on the evolution of these boots that they did in 2017, um, which were kind of popular. They were more like of a motocross type of boot. They had more of a sturdier sole and they weren't maybe as light looking and they weren't so distressed, but they're somewhat, somewhat of a grail to me. And obviously this is an update, and I think they come in like four or five colors. And then the other thing I saw that I thought was really good from that collection were these combat pants, and they were like a flared combat. And I think in general, um, Ben Shugga do a really good job of putting together really good combats I think they've got a couple from past seasons that have been really popular obviously Kanye has been wearing a lot of them in recent um, years and making them kind of really really popular and whatnot but I do like the overall shape I just love the pocket placement and you know if you know anything about combat or cargo pants you'll know that to get the perfect ones is kind of hard like once you get into them, it's kind of like um caps or hoodies or T-shirts. Once you like a particular fit, it's really difficult to find that fit done a lot because people basically change the shapes or the cut of something. And then, you know, it's kind of hard to figure out where to kind of get that thing. So sometimes it's nice on a brand like Benciaga keeps repeating a certain shape or a certain model of cargoes because you know you can buy them season in, season out or stock up on a few. So those are the two highlights of things that I liked, right? Well, the price list for this season or next season has kind of leaked online and people are going insane about it on social because the prices are absolutely wild. And this is courtesy of an account called My Um That's, you know, I think you should follow because it kind of posts loads of stuff regarding Blincioga and whatnot. If you want to get updates on stuff and pictures of showroom materials and whatnot, you can check them out. But they leaked the price list for the upcoming season and the biker booster I want these biker boots, right, it's absolutely preposterous, but these biker boots that I want are $7,000, $7,200 retail, $7,200 retail, the fled cargoes I'm interested in, right, the ones I just showed you right here, these fled cargoes, they are two thousand four hundred dollars, nearly three K for a pair of cargoes. And let's not even start talking about the inflatable racing jacket, which is exactly what it describes. It's a racing jacket made out of leather that also can be pumped up. There's an inflatable hoodie, the same inflatable puffer, there's a metallic speed cat sunglasses, which are, if I'm not mistaken, they're kind of um they look like they're one piece so you can't fold them um there's a black speed cat sunglasses 2550 550 um round shoulders fitted tracksuit jacket 3050 a double front jeans 2450 and deconstructed dem jacket 3550 like can you imagine how crazy those prices are legit and it made me think to be honest i was thinking to myself you know what i wonder if this is like an inflection point, because you remember, I remember seeing a clip of somebody from Microsoft or somebody from Blackberry when the iPhone originally launched saying, oh, we're not worried. The iPhone is, uh, is not gonna be that successful. It doesn't have a keyboard and plus it's $500. No one's gonna pay $500 for a phone. And that was in the first iPhone come out, right? The first generation. And obviously that kind of set a precedent for phones going forward because it was the first one to kind of hit that barrier to hit that kind of level and everyone kind of, it became the new normal. So I wonder going forward if this is what Blanchard is doing because in general, you know, designer shoes or sneakers or boots and stuff are usually anywhere between $500 to maybe 2000 at the max, right? So maybe some Andy Lemusters, um some Big Boy Ricks, about 500 to 2000 but they've never gone above that. So now maybe They're setting a precedent for the new normal going forward, where we're going to be getting designer shoes from like 5k up because seven grand to spend on biker boots. Again, just forget their biker boots. Just imagine there any shoe designer shoe is legitimately insane. But it might be the new normal because I feel like even though there's a lot of outrage, as you can see here from the Instagram account, there's like over 300 comments of people basically raging and saying this is really unacceptable, especially in the economy that we're in at the moment and given you know the finances everyone has and whatnot this is pretty crazy but i have a feeling that over time people are going to learn to accept it and also the unfortunate truth about this is that the people that actually buy blends yoga all the time every season and just hand over their amex card or their black card or whatnot or a suitcase full of money to a sales assistant they don't care about this stuff Right, they just look at what they want, they circle it, they send it to their rep, and they get it sent to their home, or they pick it up later on. They're not really too bothered about the prices of things, because if you can spend one thousand, what's seven thousand? Do you know what I mean? So they obviously can afford it. So I think overall, they're probably going to weather this backlash. They're not going to address it, obviously. And then they're going to just set this to be the new normal going forward. But some of the comments here are pretty interesting regarding some of the previous prices. You've got one here from a um, real um, aficionado of Blanchard and Demna and Vetema in general, Mike the Ruler, the legend. He said, for winter 20, less than three years ago, the baggy cargo pants with the same cotton ripstop fabrication, same pocket construction and finishing were 1,350. So the same pants he's saying, from three years ago, were one thousand three hundred and fifty, and now the same cargos are two thousand, so nearly a double price increase. The Tyrex biker boots were one thousand four hundred and ninety, so they've gone up by like what six times or something for six or seven times, which is absolutely crazy. I'm not too sure if this is to account for, you know, the rising costs of energy and transportation and all that malarkey. I don't really know, but it also could be another really weird theory is that that whole entire time they've been cancelled quote unquote Blanchiaga they've kind of missed out on a lot of sales people were burning some of their flipping sock racer things burning all their fake triple S's right people were doing all that sort of nonsense they were protesting outside the stores they were calling people pedos if they were walking inside of Blanchiaga so, so maybe they lost a lot of money in that whole entire period so now they're trying to get it back by raising the prices and making people pay 7 grand for flipping you know biker boots that aren't really biker boots it continues now person says time to move on to Philip Flee, which is hilarious another one says or Al- also get your money up <laughs> this is what happened actually i remember this What happened? um when visvim was popping up when visvim was popping up this is what happened visvim went from like being a brand that was like i don't know within like the 1000 range. And then it went up and kind of doubled that over time. And people just had to kind of acquiesce and kind of get used to it. Another one says, I've looked into making air mattresses before and it was super expensive with low MOQ. So I can imagine it's super expensive to produce inflexible pieces, but the sunglasses, exactly. Another one says, sometimes it's okay not to be able to afford something. Obviously I want Balenciaga, but it doesn't mean I'm going to have to write to afford it what <laughs> what's this person talking about this is proper bootlicking comment it's the same thing with chrome hearts for example it's meant for a certain crowd doesn't mean the prices aren't poo poo though yeah that's some bootlicking talk another person says they're alienating their own audience after we supported them during the controversy time to go back to better lor or Vetemart isn't that cheap either the funny thing about it is i think as well which is kind of cruel and also the reality of life is that if you think about it the actual people that make designer brands cool trendy um somewhat culturally relevant are people who technically can't afford it if you think about it they're the ones who technically can't afford it are the ones who make it popular but then the brands don't really cater to them they cater to an affluent group of people who in general only buy it because it's cool and trendy and don't have any real you know there's no real um attachment to the brand like the ones who you know essentially can't afford it because they really live that life but the ones that can really afford it just treat it as like uh, anything they treat it like as their version of Haynes right it's not that big of a deal for them anymore it's just a status symbol that they can add to themselves to kind of give themselves um you know to prop themselves up in somewhat but it's not really anything deeper than that which is kind of hilarious if you think about it another person says here the funny part is that the only group of people who can really afford these prices are actually receiving for free this is also true right you get a lot of influencers getting stuff for free or getting stuff heavily discounted um, which is hilarious um they're not paying full prices not the money not going to them another person here says i love and appreciate the product but there is a limit to how much work i need to put in to buy clothing <laughs> exactly <laughs> how many jobs are you meant to get to buy it he says, I know it's expensive and I believe that I'm not the clientele they're looking for after all. And for me, elitism is not so exciting. I thrive shipping shipping, um, limited edition or limited selection because it's unreasonable. That said, there are millions of millionaires out there for sure, not the image I want to follow either. Exactly. So you want to buy Blainty, but then you also have to earn a certain amount. But then if you earn a certain amount, you're going to be looking like certain people that wear it and you don't want to look like those people that wear it. You're in a weird position. Another one says, they're gatekeeping their own brand with these prices. Yeah. And that, that also might be what they're doing. It also might be a hard reset. Do you know, like when that guy from? Because um, I always thought it was a, 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 it was obviously a purposeful done. It was I thought it was always I always thought sorry, it was done on purpose when that time if you remember when um, I think Jay Z was trying to, what brand was it? It was some sort of liquor brand i forgot what brand it was especially but the same goes for hennessy but when hennessy was the flavor of the month um with people in the hip-hop community and they're shouting it out and they're trying to get promos and get deals with hennessy to promote it because obviously they were helping to promote the brand by mentioning it you a know, raps all the time someone from hennessy basically came out and said we don't want to cater to you blacks we don't like you black people we're not really for this. We wanna cater to a certain demographic. We wanna, you know, it's not for you. And that obviously inadvertently led to people kind of, black people kind of boycotting a brand. And I think that also led to Jay-Z starting his own thing with Ace of Spades. But it was like a purposeful sort of like, um you know, they kind of like, you know, they, they self-inflicted, they did it to themselves just so they could temporarily get rid of the customers they don't want and then recover on the back end. So maybe this is what Balenciaga are doing. They don't want a certain customer or they want the people that are only gonna ride for them for real. And what better way to test people's dedication and commitment to your brand than by raising the prices, you know? That might be the way to do it you raise the prices you get rid of all the paws, all the blacks all the browns all the other minorities right and then you just kind of a you know attract a certain group of people that you actually want and maybe it's just based on wallets maybe it's not based on race i don't know but i just think it's flipping wild that these motherfuckers are charging seven grand for biker boots seven thousand don't get me wrong they're flipping nice boots right really nice boots but seven thousand is flipping crazy um, this is obviously the best colorway here, that little white and yellow one. And I think these are the glasses that are like three grand and they're four grand. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? So whenever these do pop up on AliExpress, done now I'm gonna get a pair. They're obviously not gonna be good quality, but when these glasses do end up on AliExpress, I'm jumping on them straight away because ain't nobody paying four grand for flipping sunglasses, man. They think they must think I'm smoking that good budge. No way, no way shaping hell. So there's been some rather distressing news regarding somebody that I look up to and thought was really amazing. I still think he's amazing when it comes to art, when it comes to creating core products, when it comes to design ethos and whatnot. And that is the great and the legendary Tom Sachs. And there's this really um, (laughs) kind of uh, interesting expose regarding him and his um, working culture that he has going on there over at his studio that I thought was really interesting to read and to kind of go through with you guys on here so this is the article here courtesy of Curb it says Tom Sachs promised a fun cult the sculptor likes to call his studio part of his art practice working there could often be scary oh, 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 oh. the inventor of ten bullets might actually put a bullet through you if you don't shaver <laughs> or smoothen or temper. Was it tamper? No, what's it called when you do that thing? Is it temper, I forgot, or tape the edges of something correctly? So let's see what they say here in this article. Um, in February, an anonymous Artwood family posted a listing for an exclusive, sorry, executive personal assistant on New York Foundation and Art's website. The listing saw someone who would make life easier for the couple in every way possible. This meant picking up clothes for the high-end stores, managing all medical need requests, and helping rooftop garden maintenance and in-studio cats, and learning complicated sounding um, closet and dog systems. It went viral, and the New York Times covered it in a paper summation. The ad combined a tone so blithe with detailed lists of tasks It was so unreasonable I didn't find that post unreasonable It was a listing that went viral I just thought in general It just sounded like What an assistant actually does But I think when you put When you write down What an assistant's Obligations are Tasks and what they're required to do It can sound a bit nuts It kind of can sound Bordering on the side of slavery But it is a pretty prestigious job. You do get to be in some interesting spaces. You meet some interesting people. Um, sometimes you can make a lot of money. So I didn't really have that much of an issue with the listing personally, but it was a bit of a bummer when I found out it was, oh, when it was leaked that it was Tom Sachs. Anyway, Tom Sachs 56 has long been represented by Seprin and West, Westwater. I hate when they do this in these cool articles. It's sort of like they're trying to get him, what dropped from his representation or something. Why, why I mention that? It doesn't matter. The Sockley Gallery <clears throat> is also home to Julian Snowball and Bruce New human obviously two legends in the art world. He's best known for installations made of consumer products. Um, in recent years, much of his works has been related to space travel, like a life-size replica of the Apollo 11 lunar model made of stolen plywood. His sculptures tend to show the way that we've been assembled and duct tape and screws and handwritten notes. These days, his pieces go for more than $300. Um, at his opening in Aquavilla in October, the line to get around to land to get in wrapped around the 17th Street. <clears throat> for his most recent release of the Nike Craft General Purpose the company took a uh, card the new york times and there have been other houses a small furniture line of nfts nfts obviously you can go away the big bit but he also come famous with a unique way of which he has for three decades running his Chinatown studio with an extension of his art practice, complete with the fastidiously detailed systems. In 2010, he released a film called 10 Bullets, which I think is awesome. I think anybody that's into design um, or that's, yeah, that's into design in any way, shape, or form and wants to, you know, have a little bit of refresher on what a kind of a good practice looks like and a really effective way to kind of look at how you approach your work, regardless of what field or medium you work in. I think you could take a good a lot of notes and inspiration from Ten Bullets. I think it's really, really well done, in my opinion. Which was represented in both Employee Handbook and Artwork. Filmmaker Van Neistat, who's Katie Neistat's brother, is one of the former studio members. In the film, Sachs describes the rules that govern the studio. Everyone must place all the items parallel or a 90 degree angle. They walk quietly as if in a monastery. Employees have to maintain a healthy diet and exercise regime, avoid personal inventiveness, and respond to commands with the words I understand or I don't understand. There's even a system for when the s- system isn't followed. Employees have to sacrifice money to the lever face, a piggy bank based on a villain and Texas chancel Massacre. Personally, all this stuff I thought was all done tongue in cheek. But this article is basically saying it was real. It was real rap. I always thought it was tongue in cheek, kind of take the piss a little bit, being very serious and also kind of being jokey, kind of taking the piss out of itself. But hey, the space... um. The space where this all plays out feels charming. A little Wes Anderson employees my, wear matching utility coats and the plywood shelves aligned with such as pinched ceramics and everyone is conspicuously attractive. Um, if this sounds like a cult well that's what that was kind of the point employees have been known to work out of the program called Space Camp three times a week at 7am wearing uniforms printed with their first initial last name and serial numbers Sachs assigned them we'd go out jogging in Soho and people would take pictures of us it's not like they knew Tom was they just thought they were, re- were a <laughs> regular cult says <laughs> so a former studio assistant some of them got their serial numbers tattooed on their bodies okay that's a bit weird it's a bit crystalline plus Sachs called it a cult constantly. This place is a cult And I mean that in the scariest Most Manson family way He said in a GQ interview he talked about his temper too. In The Paradox of Bullets, a follow-up video of 10 Bullets, he illustrates another motto, the virtues of a freakout. By throwing a typewriter through a wall, it flies into a room where a woman is calmly eating noodles. It hits her. But it could be actual cult, right? Or else it would tumble say it. Sasha said that studio culture is created his greatest work of art, but based on interviews with more than a dozen former employees, many of whom um, knew that they were signing up for a neutral work environment, the experience of the studio could be characterized by destabilizing and scary. Yo, that's the peak of um modern living isn't it? living in a western world where you think working in a flipping art studio where you can quit at any time is scary these De- destabilizing working for somebody that has standards somebody that kind of is a bit of a tyrant somebody that demands the best at all times can be scary and destabilizing like god almighty we're so so weak um, Sash declined to be interviewed For the story Of course he did um, And a new statement To the New York Times A spokesperson describes The place as a rigorous And exacting artist studio Exactly Which it should be I think I, or I remember reading or, find, or, or learning That Eminem When he records In the studio He treats it like a job He essentially goes there From nine to five Doesn't arrive any later Doesn't stay any later And kind of bangs out What he needs to do In those hours And then goes home And then comes back The next day But you can imagine inside the studio itself there's probably other things that he probably does he doesn't let anybody in there that's not recording no smoking no eating or whatever it's just it's a place of work because that's what he does he creates music sells it and stuff and tours the world and that allowed him to do other things so essentially that is his work he has to take it seriously Um, and you'd imagine as well when you're designing personally for me if you're writing or designing stuff you know even your table even your work surface needs to be somewhat clear so that your mind can be clear so you can start work again like you know there's all these things that come into place um, in order to kind of make sure that you are able to put your best work out there or to try to create your best work, it says, um, um, rigorous and exacting art standards, art studio, sorry, um, that has fostered high standards and a fast-paced works environment to support the robust output. Not everyone, they conclude, they concede, sorry, is a fit for the culture, but Tom Stach Studio believes all employees should feel safe and secure in their workplace and is committed to upholding these values. Here's one of Stach's former studio managers describing working for him he's the the person says it's almost as if he goes out of his way to sow discomfort and pours it off as if he's a genius it's like a ruse so many people out here know that he's cruel but the art world is tiny and no one gives a shit all people are just scared and he's very influential um people don't want to get on the bad side of him because they want to you know get favors and whatnot and be in his good graces so that makes a lot more sense um you see a lot in you know in fashion as well you see a lot in nightlife there's a lot of cunts a lot of proper all caps cunts but people don't want to say anything about it because they don't want to you know get rid of their guest list spot they don't want to get rid of their favors to go certain places or their ability to get on some list or to go places after hours or to get certain heads up on certain things all these things kind of play into it or just a clout of knowing that person personally that kind of plays into it as well you see some of the people in the studio um, doing, um some bodyweight training it looks like a certain type of person loves the idea of all this and um, carefully sorting screws all day as part of their kind of making uh, of unified art making organism. There's a recent Reddit thread called How Can I Work for Tom Sachs. One rep- one response says, just show up at the front of the studio like Fight Club, um, says second former um, a former studio assistant. It was a really desirable place to be and privileged in some ways. Owen Zoet dropped out of NYU in 2021 to join the studio. He had been applying to work there every year since he was 15. Routed. It's really, really lovely to feel like you're part of something and working in a very tight knitted group. It can be a really fast paced environment and achieve some really fast tactical goals. Most of most of the foremost tossing players we spoke to asked for anonymity. Many signed non disclosure agreements, and others said they feared retaliation. <laughs> little Tom Sachs is going to come after you, and he? he's going to be running after you down the street in these little Mars yards. You know, trying to kick you with these little legs. Um, when you start working at Tom Sachs Studio, you're given manuals. Um, you're, they're substantially more detailed than 10 bullets. In one, after the suggestion of how to properly approach Tom Sacks his lunch, there's advice avoid things that make Tom mad, which begins with um, <laughs> metered verse Tom will sometimes scream, sometimes will sometimes broad. Um, through dire life may seem happiness lies in reading Tom's moods. Tax spokesman says his manual was a joke recent player says he took it seriously i don't mind this because he's basically giving you a heads up and saying to you i'm a cunt he's doing it in poetry form but he is telling you he's letting you know hey i'm a piece of shit that's what he's letting you know and i think and i actually appreciate that i think in many places i've been at the people have tried to pretend like they're cool pretend like they're one of the boys or they're one of the crew but they're actually tyrants so i prefer it if you're a tyrant that you be up front And you know, you kill my family in front of me as opposed to bring me into your household and make it seem like it's sweet and then you kill them all in their sleep. Please do it when I'm awake. Um, it's impossible to read his moods on all time or to follow any of his exacting systems precisely, says former employees, a mix of studio assistants, managers, and specialists, all of whom worked for Sash at various points of his past 15 years. And when someone inevitably messed up, if, for instance, they put a good light bulb in the bad light bulb drawer, the consequences were often far worse than giving a $2 to Leatherface. Multiple studio members recall Sash calling them autistic. <laughs> Or retarded, or bitch, and other names. (laughs) If you put the good light bulbs in the bad light bulb drawer, you got called redacted, autistic, or a bitch. That is a little bit extreme, right? Okay. (laughs) Anyway, such Studio assistant, Satch Studio denies this, saying that such behaviours is not in line with the values of the studio. He also denied almost all the allegations leveled at him in this story. Of course, deny, deny, deny. That's the first rule of journalism debunking. Basically, if a light bulb went out in the middle of the night and you didn't change it, it's sickened, uh it got you got in you you were getting your ass biblically reamed out says a third former studio assistant according to several former studio assistants you were at risk of having things thrown if not at you then direction of where you were working to be fair that's something that's not on if anyone throws something at of your work i don't care where i'm working we have to throw hands i mean step outside or i'm gonna throw something back which is okay if if you work somewhere and your manager has to throw something at you but you can also throw something back at them I think that's a fair exchange just don't fire me because I threw something back at you that's not fair, do you know what I mean I know it's your company and stuff, but let's be fair if you can throw a stapler at me, I can throw this chair back at you like, you know let's go tete-a-tete I saw him throw a sheet of steel across the room how do you throw a sheet of steel at someone? Jesus Christ Um, because someone had left it in the wrong place and it almost almost hit a tank of welding gas oh, it could have blew up yeah, imagine that Um, and then somebody comes in with their weed man and the whole place blows up, that would be hilarious. Says a former fabricator. And when I went out to the studio manager to say, "Hey," he threw something towards me. <laughs> Her response was, "Well, at least he didn't throw it at you. He used to throw stuff at people." Oh God! Says another former studio assistant. He threw wood across the floor. One time, he ripped the alarm system off the wall and threw it, and threw the clipboard, a lot of clipboards, and a ladder. <laughs> this sounds like Gordon Ramsay in a art studio. To be fair. There were so many rules to keep track of and they came from all over the place. The manual, the manager, Sachs himself. It was easy to get tripped up. Make Sachs dog um, make Sachs dogs his first trice daily meal of rabbit, sweet potato and junior spinach, cranberry powder and aloe vera juice and coconut oil. You have to make his dog that meal. Hold on. You have to make dog, t- make Tom Sachs dog his thrice daily meal of rabbit, sweet potato, junior um, um, spinach, cranberry powder aloe vera juice and coconut oil this doggy's better than me fucking hell bring sex to snacks bring sex snacks like iberico ham if he's signing autograph artwork sorry all his pens must be new and not new new the ink should be already be flowing <laughs> you have to uncap his pens and let the ink flow a little bit like you're stubbing out a crink pen or something oh my god group lunches are to be prepared by fast sorry by food system manager and forks to be dropped in the unison at the end of the meal once I was on the phone arranging Tom and Sarah's travel says the former studio manager they mainly fly first class and if their seats doesn't go full bed don't bother coming back in this was repeated to me I'm not gonna lie Tom says sounds like a fucking legend I'm not gonna lie he sounds like a fucking legend you had to book seats for him that went full bed. If they didn't go full bed, so if they went like a you know, they just kind of peted back a little bit, but not all the way, then you you were you were gonna get fired. If if you booked them a, a first class seat that didn't have like a champagne button, you get fired. Oh my god. While she was on the phone, the door buzzed and she thoughtlessly let the person in. This was a problem, she says, because staff weren't supposed to let unidentified guests enter. I got back upstairs and Tom sprang at me. He was inches from my face. I could feel the heat from his body. He screams, why didn't you answer the door? What's wrong with you? Many workers grew desperate to please, doing their best to find him um, italicized apples. What? Italicized apples, which several former employees say were his description of Fuji apples that were slanted. Oh, my God those who succeeded were occasionally rewarded um what sloppy toppy according to multiple studio members sacks dispense birthday gifts and different values to demonstrate the one standing the first gift is always a knife and after it is based off your value says a full former studio assistant if you were favored you could get prada shoes if you are not you might get re-gifted something from a free pile oh he sounds like a legend around people he deemed important several summa members say he sometimes made a point to act more reserved but in restful settings like um, gallery installations he let his guard down according to some who worked with him in his institution she saw him yell at studio members and his workers are just like yes chef you are the whole you, you you see this hollow look in some of their eyes you're like this is for art yeah, I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but you can read it if you want to check it out yourself here. It's called uh Tom, what's it called? Uh Tom Sachs Promise a Funk Cult. Personally for me, I'm a big fan of his and his art and stuff, so clearly I'm a little bit, you know, I, I'm a little bit somewhat conflicted in this, but overall I I don't think it's that big of an issue. I think I've worked in worse sounding places. I just think for whatever reason, maybe in the art world, there is this idea that it's this fun, magical place when it clearly isn't. And I guess he runs a really tight ship. That's basically the fact of the matter. He clearly runs a really tight ship. He has very exacting standards. But one thing I have to give him credit for, and I say this again because I meet a lot of cunts I pretend they're nice people, at least he's up front at least he lets it be known very clearly like even you know maybe because I'm just reading it from the outside and I was just looking at it from an art practice side of things I didn't really kind of look deeply into it I never even associated it with a cult but now they're saying what they're saying and if you look at the pictures and how he tries to go on it kind of is a bit like a cult but at least he's very clear about what you're getting into there is no kind of surprises you can just judge from the videos from how they conduct themselves on social media from just the interviews that he gives and whatnot and um, from the people that work there in general how they how they act on social you can kind of get a, an idea of what the kind of place is like and what he's like as a person so there really should be no surprises when you do enter the house um or the st- studio tom Sachs personally for me i don't think it should be that much of a surprise but i just think we live in a world where people you know are just they don't know what high standards look like um you know especially in their own work they might be procrastinators and whatnot um they might just you know not have the most highest or exacting standards when it comes to their art they might just see it as a creative endeavor and not something that you can kind of judge as quote-unquote work so when you work for somebody that clearly does treat you like work tries to run a somewhat a semi-factory cult type of thing it does maybe it does It is maybe hard to get your head wrapped around it, but I don't think it's that big of a deal personally for me. But hey, what do I know? Hey, what do I know? So moving on from that one. Yeah, moving on to that one, let's talk about this. So we got this f- interview courtesy of Hypebeast featuring the one and only Peggy Goo, you know, my favourite DJ of all time. And I thought it was somewhat interesting in the fact that it just, for me, cemented my impression that I think as much as it is fun to hate on the lady, I also think it's quite fun to be her number one defender. Now, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pivot and I'm going to be the defender of Fred again, (laughs) and I'm gonna be a defender of Peggy Goo. Two people at the flipping apex, right? At the top of flipping Mount Kilimanjaro when it comes to flipping DJing, Um, incredibly privileged. They probably wouldn't spit on me if I was on fire. They probably will step over me if I fell over in the queue somewhere. Like probably don't give any fucks about me whatsoever. But I think The hate towards both of them is a little bit exaggerated, a little bit over the top, especially when it comes to Peggy because I think as fun as her life may be, she looks amazing in this picture here, courtesy of Hypebeast, dressed in this amazing fur number that probably is real fur, designer glasses, great facials, tattoos and cool jewellery and all that malarkey, right? All this is amazing. But I also think being Peggy Goo is a prison in its own self because of how famous and popular she is. It must be pretty, pretty crazy to be her because it's not a normal life that normal DJs have. She's basically occupying this weird celebrity influencer, um, IG babe, sort of like, place it's bizarre but anyway the interview itself is very very bland and very boring I'm not gonna lie you don't really get much out of her um I don't know if this is because she's kind of guarded because of the hate and doesn't want to reveal too much about her story or because of her upbringing or inspiration just her personality because people dissect everything she says i've done it in the past i know but maybe that's it or maybe she just doesn't have much to say she might be legitimately dense and quite you know basic in one way shape or form or just have the personality of a cardboard box i don't know but it must be such a weird place to be in because she's very clearly photogenic clearly doesn't shy away from taking pictures so when it comes to that the kind of other thing that comes on the back end is people wanting to know more about you interview you find out what makes you tick and stuff but she doesn't really have anything there's not really much there to kind of pull from I'll just I'll just read a few in, in, in you know of the interview here of Curse of a hype beast and um, of her being in Korea. the interview how was this ex- how was um the experience of DJing in Korea for the first time she says it was more than i expected in order to resonate with the audience in Korea, I had to play music differently than what I would do in foreign countries. As I watched the audience reaction, I was excited thinking about how Korean house and techno are getting a lot bigger. I was also performing with my favourite artists, so I was feeling a lot of emotions. Doesn't this sound like a chat GBT question or something? This sounds very AI-ish, isn't it? It's lacking in depth, lacking in warmth or emotions, just very robotic. And again, maybe it is, maybe it's not, I don't know. Another question here. In terms of fashion, what do you want to show the audience at your live show? bizarre but hey it's a dj but hey she answers i think my performance includes costumes i want to deliver um, energy at the same time so i wear a lot of different clothes or different colored clothes a lot of people think that my clothes are chosen by stylists but i wear whatever i want it all depends on the store, country the timing the festivals i also choose the energy that i think that suits the city and the situation it's like huh Come on lady, give us something, brother. Give us something, sister. As the day goes on, my suitcase gets bigger and bigger and it's hard. People who like techno sometimes only wear black, but I think you can wear colour, colorful colours while playing techno. Okay. <laughs> it's like, come on, girl, give us something, please. Um uh, another question here. The word colourful is something that you're um is something of a defining term throughout your music and stage presence. Sometimes people ask me to define my style. <laughs> every time i say no i'm pretty much where my styles of my many i wear all styles of clothing it's the same when you're making music i draw from everything i'm making k house indie techno with my music and all kinds of genre, genre elements but yeah an absolute wall of nothingness coming from Peggy Goody. And again, I don't know if it's because she purposely doesn't want to let anything out of the bag because people just dissect everything she says or because she generally doesn't have much of a personality. But I think one of my reasons why I'm starting to warm to her is number one, she doesn't seem to give a shit about the criticism, which I love. She just seems to kind of just keep, keep on keeping on. And I also have never, ever, 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 ever seen this girl moan about playing the same track again and again and again every time she performs and the track that i'm talking about is flipping starry starry night i feel i've got a clip of it here right where she's performing it somewhere where is it maybe it's it this maybe it's this one maybe it's this one no i think it's this one it might be this is this one or this one maybe it's this one yeah this is the one so she played recently, I think this is maybe at the place where she was at the interview. Um this is, says um Peggy Goo live at UFO station in Seoul and for the one millionth time she's out here playing Starry Night in front of a crowd of people who are just standing looking at her. There's no real dancing there's no rule going crazy They're just standing and staring at her As she's playing music as a DJ It must be such a weird feeling To have, to experience Where no one's dancing, no one's losing their heads And going crazy, they're just standing And looking at you like you're in a band or something It's really bizarre But I've never heard her complain once about the success Of the tune and about the golden Handcuffs that's basically given her She loves it, she plays it, every time she plays it, It's like the first time she did it And she pro- approaches it like a true professional like a true musician you know turns up does a job collects the checks and keeps it moving but let's hear the clip screaming but they're not dancing it's such a weird sensation to see if you're not watching this they're screaming but they're not dancing they're literally all standing there with their hands in the air with their phones no dancing and she's acting like this is the first time that she just made a tune this is what i think about what Pega is a pro she's acting as if she just she just mixed and mastered the tune in her hotel room and is debuting it for the first time i flipping love it At least they're singing along though. Imagine singing along and not dancing. What kind of crowd is this? (laughs) It's incredible. Imagine singing along and not dancing. This is incredible. Or maybe this is just soul life, isn't it? Maybe this is just how Koreans get down when it comes to house music. They're singing but they're not dancing. This is so bizarre. She's playing it like it's the first time. She's being a complete pro, no messing around. And then the other video that I went to show you that really demonstrated why sometimes, you know, maybe being Pegagu isn't what it's all cracked up to be. Look at this clip taken from Mykonos last year. People just literally standing behind her and in front of it this is a bit of a dodgy setup anyway i don't know what kind of set this is probably my nightmare of DJing place as a venue it looks like the the crowd are like around her so kind of like a boiler room type of crowd where she's like in the middle and everyone's sort of like around usually the people behind you are kind of vips and stuff and they don't really act too fanny so you can kind of make you chill but everyone around there's a fan so everywhere she turns there's people shining their phones in her face but again Consummate pro, doesn't roll her eyes once, doesn't look annoyed once and just goes with it, which you can definitely appreciate. But this doesn't look like fun to me. So for the people out there hating and saying, oh, she gets paid so much money from Nike and all this stuff. Would you want this as a DJ career for you? Be honest. And would you also be able to perform and not be complaining online? Cause you don't hear her complaining and you know moaning about flights and stuff. She just lives it, does her thing, keeps it moving. Look at the phones phones in the back more phones phones everywhere look at the phones camp there's an the SLR look absolute pro she's walking around like it's the first time she's played this song i can't get past how amazing this is and i'm sure record box has like a play count option I'm sure in the list setting in the what view section or something I'd love to see how many times her particular USB has played Starry Night it must be in the hundreds of thousands it must be anyway you get the point point. and then this video I thought was really hilarious because this is the only one I could find where she does look a little bit annoyed And doesn't really look like she wants to be there And this is a clip taken from um, the channel called Luca Dia Which basically f- focuses more on Like the tech house type of scene Loads of what you maybe call bro house or something So loads of dudes Loads of Italians and whatnot Dancing around twirling their fingers and whistling all the time So if you don't like that kind of vibe you won't like this But she's performing at Circo Loco DC 10 Alongside Michael Bibby I don't think they're going back to back I think he just played before her and she's playing after her After him sorry um, Which is funny because I don't think she's really a fan of the guy probably But hey Maybe the feeling's mutual but this is the only clip I can find where she doesn't look like she's really that pleased to be there. And it might just be more so to do with the crowd and and also all, all the hangers on behind in the booth of DC ten. I'm not really too sure, but she doesn't look too happy to be there. But still, she, you know, turns on the game face, starts dancing and relaxes. But the first few bits you can see her not looking too happy. So this is a clip. Let's play it now. in the back there, with the headphones, trying to get the song going. Michael Bibby not really giving her much attention. Let's pass forward a little bit more. Effects going on there. Slight interaction with each other here. But still. Just a whole bunch of lads in it. DC 10 god damn I would still like to go just for the experience just to see what it's like in person but god almighty the amount of lads the amount of arms in the air you must come when you come back from DC 10 your arms are just so sore from just having them in the air with your phone recording every single bit and where where, where does all this footage end up I don't even see it where does it end up does it end up on YouTube does it go on their flipping Instagram channels like where does this stuff end up I want to know where does this stuff go but anyway all these sea of arms all these sea of dudes maybe Maybe this is why she wasn't too pleased because there was so many Caucasian people there. She didn't see enough of her own people. I'm not really too sure. Who knows? Absolutely rammed. Oh, there's some girls there. Okay, nice to see. So this is a good thing about Peggy. She does have a pretty decent following with the with, with the ladies. They do seem to like her quite often. I remember in a workplace I worked at beforehand, um, no, a couple of years ago, a lot of the girls there loved Peggy. They literally, you know... They didn't really go raving too often, but if she were if she was playing in London, they'd always buy tickets to go and see her and they get all dressed up and shit. So she's clearly got a really big, big, big fan base with the women's. Michael Baby's still not giving her much attention. They're still not talking. They're still not talking. Not talking again, still not talking. Let's see, fast forward a bit more. Still not talking. Nothing anymore there. Two minutes since, still no interaction. (laughs) Yeah, see? The only time I've seen her look a little bit down and glum. Maybe she's really tired from traveling. Okay, there we go. A little bit of interaction there. She smiled at him, talked to her friend. She pointed one at him, she looked (laughs) away. She doesn't seem the most warm. does she, <laughs> I still love her. The Peggy's my girl. I'm gonna protect you at all costs, my dear. The hate towards you is a little bit unwarranted. You do your job and you're professional. You know and I mean, that's that. That's more than a lot of people in the scene. And even if you are a little bit of a cunt, so what? There's many of them out there. Do you know what I mean? That many more that have kind of people that kind of rate and flipping. And, you know, lick their boots and fall over the floor for. If you are, well, so what? Do it. <laughs> Okay, okay. Okay. There we go. One more. The only interaction. One more. Let's see what happens here. I want to see where they switch. Is that where they switch? Let's see where they switch. Oh, there we go. Now she happy. she spoke to him once the whole time they switched okay they're speaking now okay (laughs) she doesn't seem too warm does she (laughs) Peggy doesn't seem like the warmest person in the world but hey I still appreciate the lady Okay, they're switching now. There's still loads of arms in the air. No lot of dancing. There we go, she started. She feels good. Okay. Anyway, that's Peggy Goo over there at Circo Loco, feeling good, feeling nice. Michael will probably looking at her thinking, bloody hell mate, you're a little bit cold, aren't you, babes? (laughs) Come on, Han. What did you say, what do you call me, babes? I'm not your babes. You know, she probably didn't respond too well with that. But hey, it is what it is. It is what it is. The Peggy Defense Force forces here. We're defending her at all costs. We're defending her at all flipping cost. Next on the list here, to quickly finish all this Deja stuff, I wanted to mention this clip also that I thought was quite hilarious because I saw some people in the comments complaining. So, Jackmaster was recently playing at another place in italy um, Italy seems to be a really booming place for these guys that are like tech house adjacent they seem to be getting booked left right and center and for whatever reason there's like it's not even like um the main cities or what you deem to be the main cities but it looks like you know tech house technobi housey clubs exist all over italy like in far-flung places which is pretty cool so you get a touch of fans in every single place and not just big major markets which is cool because i guess it keeps you booked and busy but one thing I noticed, um, all these guys usually play the same old stuff. It's kind of like, you know, they're basically like the the sons and daughters of Marco Corolla. That type of minimal, you know, tech housey type of deep housey type of sound. But it's all really normal. It's all kind of the same. It all just sounds quite monotonous. It's all very lacking in groove, lacking in bounce, lacking in creativity, ingenuity, depth, range. It's just all really crappy and basic, in my opinion. At least this Jackmaster set, from what I heard, is a little bit interesting. Like He even starts and intros it very interesting, more so than whatever you'd hear played on a Luca D channel. So this is a clip taken from Luca D's channel. Jackmaster DJ set at a place called Il Muerto Gisolo in Venice, Italy on the 18th of February of this year um, at a Pyramid Ibiza party. And I thought this is a pretty good set. And I think some of the things that he was doing on the, on the mixer... In terms of cutting in and out songs and adding effects and looping and just really being, you know, um, somewhat performative in his style of mixing on stage was a little bit more refreshing than what you see the normal tech house DJs do. They just mix and blend out of one track out one track out of the other, and it just sounds like you're listening to a mix at home or something. At least he's trying to perform and give them a show, and I feel like the songs and the tunes and the rhythm is really bouncy, really groovy, and just you know, I'd be skanking like at this all day long. But for some reason, people in the comments didn't like this. Let's play the clip anyway.
2: Let's see. Sure. Yeah.
0: I love shit like that That's very rock rockstarish It kind of gives me A little bit of a Ricardo Lobos feel A little bit of a DJ Harvey feel Where you're actually Performing and being Somewhat um What do you think Some Somewhat tactical Tactile With your mixing style Even someone like A Devious One Is also a good example Of it Where you're really Kind of being You know You're really giving The mixer a little bit Of loving um, You know Helena House does The same sort of thing And I think it kind of Adds to the overall Performance Especially if you're Performing gigs live And you're playing The same thing Again and again That's kind of gives Going to give you a bit spark and also make the show fun for the people that are coming to watch but the comments was not uh, weren't agreeing if we just scroll down here someone in the comments says what does say here um that set looks all over the place trying to be too fancy with effects and just seems off his head the part where he's playing Ricardo Villalobos as Dexter looks like it brought the vibe right down so I guess some people d- don't actually like the whole standing there and just blending one song into the other and being kind of boring. They don't actually want it to be funky and a bit off kilter. You know, sometimes when you're mixing with vinyl, sometimes you have these moments where you don't really beat match it properly. It kind of falls out of sync and stuff. You don't get the BPMs right. Um, just the flow of it is not good, whatever it may be, or just tune skips. But I think that kind of adds some level, some texture and some flavor to the performance. It actually makes it quite interesting because the DJ or performer has to kind of, you know, int- kind of improvise live on the moment and try and figure stuff out. But some reason, some people don't like another like person here says this set is so whack just trying to be cool with the effects and music cuts just don't sound right oh, I don't know if that's me and I'm in the zone and I'm off my head I think that sounds absolutely perfect to me but hey maybe I'm in the minority let's play a little bit more of this <laughs> that's good come on Nah, people are hating man. people are hating jack master's flipping hard i'm sorry maybe because i'm used to this sort of style of playing from you know being in the uk or the british isles and whatnot i know he's scottish but still um this is how people play here it's multi-genre you you know you're flipping tracks in and out you're changing channel just spinning back adding effects you're adding to it because usually everyone's for the most part you know a lot of people out there dj you know in their spare time at home and some people are just music aficionados so a lot of people have listened to the same songs they've got the songs on their you know on their mp3 they listen to them while they're at work and whatnot. they know what they sound like but sometimes if you kind of play them in different interesting ways it actually adds to the performance it gives those songs and those tunes that we all know and love a little bit more you know a little bit more oomph I don't think that's a bad thing but for some reason people just want to see a boring performance so I guess that maybe explains why everyone kind of plays the same because that's what the crowd kind of wants if judging by the comments to be true but yeah big up jack master regardless i think he's smashing it it's good to see him back out there you know mixing and doing what he does best especially after you know all the past controversies and whatnot he's kind of got that behind him which is nice to see and he's definitely one of my favorite i would say of the kind of quote-unquote commercial type people the ones that are really really big i think he's definitely one of the few that's kind of still at the top level even someone like a Seth Truckser who I'm a big fan of I think he's kind of dropped off a little bit and isn't as good as he once was Jamie Jones is basically the same thing I think you know personally he's kind of lost a bit of the spark or the hunger or the love he maybe once had which understandable because those guys you know were really going crazy at their peak I mean performing all the time a million dates it can maybe kind of you know run you down but I feel like Jack Master maybe that you know that time out of the scene for a bit kind of gave him time to recharge and get back on these ones and twos but he sounded better than he has been before so um great to see him out there again performing and doing what he does best because he's definitely one of the more better ones out there in the scene that has to be said and then I wanted to mention this which I thought was pretty funny considering what's happening in you know in the economy in general but this article courtesy of billboard is absolutely hilarious this is here spotify expands access to a controversial discovery mode program artists can now opt in through the spotify for artists tour the platform announced during a stream one event now hear this out this is a new feature that Spotify doing to basically give artists an opportunity to quote unquote make more money or to be seen just hear this out this is absolutely insane Spotify officially announced that it has expanded access to a Discovery Mode, a contentious program that gives artists the chance to gain more algorithmic exposure on the platform through Spotify radio and autoplay in exchange for a lower royalty rate. The company made the announcement during its Stream On event on Wednesday, the 8th of March, where Daniel Egg, the CEO, unveiled what was described as an entirely new update Spotify experience. So essentially... If you want your music to be seen by more people, maybe boosted up in the, um, what you call it, in the queue, in terms of what people listen to, in terms of, you know, habits and whatnot, if you're a similar type of artist, or maybe featured um, on the Discovery page more prominently, they'll, you can take a lower rate. The funny thing is, the rate already is super crap anyway. I think I remember reading somewhere where, I think Spotify's rate is somewhere like in the sense. So like you have to get, you know, over 200 plays or something or streams on a song in order to earn like half a dollar or something right or 50 cents which is absolutely insane so just imagine how much money how many streams you need to have to make a decent living or music it's not a lot so number one the payouts are terrible and now they're saying to you if you want to take less money of of the money you're not even getting and now you're, that will maybe boost your ability to be seen by more people so essentially what's basically happening is like music streaming is basically turning into what it's always kind of people kind of feared it would be it's just turned into an opportunity for artists to basically use music streaming as a sort of business card so that people could then book you for things festivals and live shows and for you maybe to then sell merchandise shows but there is no tangible ability unless you really pop and you become really successful it sounds really difficult for you to just be a person who makes music and performs maybe once or twice a year and just stays in your studio or in your room all day you have to somehow be out there collaborating doing brand deals and performing all the time in order to kind of make it make sense because if you're already taking a cut on your streaming revenue to get more exposure, but then exposure doesn't get you more gigs, how far else can you go? What else can you do in that regard? you've already taken a cut on the payout the exposure isn't getting you anywhere you're not collabing with people you're not booking any live shows it's really really odd if anything what they should do is increasing the rates of payouts really across the board so that then you would get more artists trying to do a thing on there but because they don't they go to different platforms like Bandcamp or whatnot or they try to sell directly to their customers alone and that's what sort of kind of changes and negates things but it does make it hard to somehow be surviving and functioning there especially if you're doing it independently if you've got a Major label behind you, maybe it makes it easier because you have money up front that the gonna have to repay, but still allows you to maybe take more chances. But damn, man, this is horrible. It says the artist on there. So artists or their teams can now easily enter tracks into Discovery Mode through the Spotify for Artists tool as long as their distributors are participating in the program. While labels can continue to access Discovery Mode through our team, I'm excited that Discovery Mode is now available directly through Spotify for Artists today, says Joe Hadley. The streamer's global head of artist partnership and audience said on Wednesday, now thousands of independently distributed artists and labels have access to Discovery Mode. That maybe is the only benefit to this era that if you're an artist, you can literally start up and kind of upload your music onto all the major digital streaming platforms, DSPs. Sorry, with a click of a button. It's not, you don't actually need a label for it. I'm sure there are YouTube videos that exist there to kind of, you know, guide you through the process of uploading your stuff onto DSPs, uploading your stuff onto TuneCore to get paid and whatnot. I'm sure those things exist, but the payouts are so bad. I think if Spotify is like 50 cents. I remember reading somewhere like Apple pays $1 per 180, 128 streams, which is a crazy low amount, but at least it gives you some idea of what you need to do to kind of make making music makes sense financially, um, which I think is also horrible because it just puts too much of a burden and a weight on the art you're doing. I think sometimes the best art can come from a sense of poverty but also can come from a sense of just wanting to to express yourself but when you have this idea that you have to make the rent or you have to pay your car note or you don't have enough money for that you need to pay for your studio time next week it kind of puts too much pressure on the music which sometimes can affect the quality of your you know output in the end of it your creativity your process your attitude toward things it should it can't be the best in my opinion um, managers who are eager to get their artist music in front of many people as possible has been enthusiastic about discovery mode of course they're the ones that you you pay billboard telling billboard this is a brilliant tool that can yield incredible results for example one at the other end of the spectrum, music industry, trade organisers and members of Congress alike have denounced the programme as a new digital form of payola. Of course, very true. That will eventually lead to an overall decrease of the amount of royalties following, flowing sorry, from Spotify to labels and artists. Several members of the Congress also questioned Spotify about whether Discovery Mode meets the guidelines set forth in the Federal Trade Commission, which notes that disclosure of paid content should be clear and conspicuous. Spotify announcements about the Discovery Mode expansion should not come as a surprise to much of the music industry. For several months, has been quietly emailing artists to tell them that they can use a program through Spotify for artists. Um, we've been in testing mode, but the results speak for themselves. Hadley told the stream on audience on average, we've seen or users save Discovery Mode songs 50% more often and add them to playlist 44% more and follow the artist 37% more. And that's where, that's just what they've seen in the songs first month of discovery mode use. So clearly there's an increase in it. Of course, that makes more sense because they're trying to push it. So they're going to push it on the back end to make it more worthwhile. But over time, it will probably plateau. Streaming Services first announced that it was testing a discovery mode towards the end of 2020. In a blog post at the time, as well, if I said it developed the program in response to artists telling us that they want more opportunities to connect with their new listeners. Yeah, because everyone knows playlists are the most important thing. So if you can get your stuff seen in front of people on radio and whatnot, you know most likely you're going to be able to get on a playlist. If you get on the playlist and people share it, you have the ability to kind of run up the numbers and then slowly but surely you can make money. So it does make sense why artists would like it, but overall it would be better to just increase the payouts in my opinion. This government provides artists and labels and a chance to identify music that is a priority for them and our system will add the signal to the algorithm that determines the personalized listening sessions. To ensure the tool is accessible to artists at any stage of their careers, it won't require any upfront budget, says Spotify in the, road, in the post. Instead, labels or rights holders agree to be paid promotional recording royalties rate for the stream in a personalized listening sessions will provide the service. Last year, man just told Billboard that royalties that they received on Play so Discovery Mode were 30% less than the royalties that they received from elsewhere on Spotify. Oof. oof. Oof, 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 oof. For me, I don't like it. I think in general, they just need to increase the payouts to artists overall and stop doing all this um and just give the artists what they deserve, money-wise, so that they can make good and amazing art going forward. But, you know, the world we live in at the moment... People are happy and okay with these Slipping crappy payouts, So they continue to do so Because they can get away with it And unfortunately it is unfortunate like that It is unfortunate like that Anyways That has been Jackson's English Show Episode number 655 this is episode number 655 the the Zinger Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. If it's your first time checking out what I do, you know what to do. Smash the like button down below. That'd be greatly appreciated. Also subscribe to the channel if you want. Um, you can also share this. That'd be greatly appreciated also. And also all my links regarding myself, social media, contacts and whatnot can be found in the description below. If you want to get in touch with me, that'd be greatly appreciated. Also say hi and whatnot. I'm always here with a friendly face and a nice emoji and a double tap. So feel free to do so. And if you're listening to this video audio podcast, you'll hear my tune of the day coming in right underneath my voice. If you're watching via the video portion, you will not hear any tune of the day. It will just fade out to black. But I do thank you anyway for joining me and hanging out. It's been an absolute blast and I'll see you all again very, very soon. Take care. Be safe, everybody. Thanks for checking me out. Peace. I to find the love
1: within. would not do My friends wonder what is wrong with me Well I'm in the day in my world only you make me do for love what I would not do make me do for love what I would not do make me do for love what I would not do make me do for